0: Welcome, everyone. Good morning. So, we've been looking at um, the Lord's Prayer it's since this start of the year. We've been looking at um, Jesus, how he taught his disciples to pray. And I still feel like on my heart, God is telling us, Pray to me, pray to me. So, I feel like this is why we're, we're going through this the Lord's Prayer. He wants his church to pray to him. And why wouldn't you, really? Like, why wouldn't you be talking to a living God? Like, why wouldn't you be lifting up your heart, your requests, your petitions, whatever your needs are, to a living God? Why would you choose man and talk to man, you know, and, and, and counselors and, you know, when you can talk to a living God? And God is more willing than anything you can ever imagine to hear and listen and to perform and do. Because God, He loves to be glorified. That's His nature. That's His character. He loves to be lifted up. And so He loves to answer prayer. When you ask of Him, He wants to do it so that you can tell the world how wonderful He is. Like, why, why wouldn't you be praying to Him, talking to Him? And some of us think that praying means I need to get on my knees and you know, I need to get into the corner and kneel down somewhere. Prayer isn't like that, not for those who have a relationship with God. Prayer is a conversation, a discussion, contemplation. Sometimes if I'm painting and I'm drawing, in my mind I think, Lord, do you like this? That's prayer. Is this good? Is this good? I mean, you gave me the abilities, you gave me the skills. Do you think that I could be doing better? That's a conversation, isn't it? Does he answer me? Of course he does. Does he answer me with the voice? No, he answers me with that finished painting. And I look at it and I say, well, you know, thank you, Lord, you know. And then it could be any area of your life when you're driving, a thought comes, thank you, Lord. That's a, a conversation. That's, and God desires that with His people. Let me tell you a story. There's a prince who lived in the most majestic place. He came across a maid who lived in a tribal village, but she was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. And this prince who lives in among the royals happened to make his way through this village and his eyes just saw her. She's just absolutely stunning. And he wanted to catch her gaze. He wanted to, you know, make some connection. And unfortunately, she turned the other way because she was too busy interested in anyone who would give her any attention, any fleeting attention. And she didn't really have a great reputation in the village among the tribes most men knew her, women didn't like her, but she was extremely attractive and very stunning and the prince saw her and thought, "Well, wow, you know. He happened to go back to his country and his mind, he just, I, I want to draw her attention. So he sent his most noble men like of stature, these men are strong and courageous, and he wrote her a letter, a beautiful letter, and he said to one of his men, you know, "'Give this to her, the most beautiful poetry "'you've ever heard, written down, gave it to this man, "'and off he went to this village, this tribal village. "'And as soon as they saw him, they got him, "'they tied him up to a stake, and off flooded the letter. "'The king found uh, the prince found out, and he sees another man. and says, listen, this is what happened to the first guy, "'but I really need you to get her attention.' I want you to send her, give her this letter. So he does the same thing, gives it to, the, to his man. He goes off and, and as soon as these people, the savages, really like corrupt and cannibals, saw this man with the letter, they grabbed him and they threw him off a cliff. Now you'd think, why would the prince, among all the women in his own country, consider a woman from a, a, an area where people eat each other? cannibals tribes there's no form of culture you know it's just it's irreverent it's ugly it's death like why does a prince in the midst of all his beauty seek this maid who didn't have much of a reputation he said i've had enough i'm going to go myself i'm going to go myself and he gathered all the letters that he had written to her that he was hoping could be delivered and he held him in his hand and off he went on his own and no sooner did he enter the village he can see him in the distance and she can see him and he holds up the letters in his hand like full of joy he just she saw him and he saw her and and, and as soon as he was getting closer a spear came poof, right into his heart and he falls flat on the ground and blood weeps and it weeps and it crosses all over his arms and all over the letters. And he lets go, and the letters get blown by the wind. And she saw this happen. She saw the men drag his body like a trail of blood till they put him into the grave. And she saw it from a distance. She couldn't make out who it, is it the prince? What's he here for? But every time she walks past that village she sees a stain of blood. She didn't know fully what that all meant but every time she has this vision or this picture in her head how a man looked at her and smiled and caught her attention but was slain and blood just now is lays there. She could see it every time she goes to the marketplace. Many years later she's in her Ugly place, and a letter comes f- floating through the window. She looks at the letter, the most amazing words, the most beautiful truths. She couldn't believe that anyone could even think such things regarding her. No man had ever, ever spoken to her like this. Who is this person? And as she read, she saw the stained blood on that page. And she knows that the man who basically came was slain and that was his letter. And across the village, one by one, she started discovering these letters, all stained with the blood of the man who loved her and wanted to draw her attention. And she knew that that was the man who died for me. And he came to give me this wonderful truth, this wonderful letter You know, Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. And he came into this world so that he can get your attention. And some of us from a distance, we see him like a prince, you know, but I don't know who he is. But when we open up the red letters, because that's what they call the words of Jesus when you open up the Bible, they call them the red letters. Because someone, somehow, when they compiled the Bible, they said, why don't we put all the words of Jesus in red so they can be the first thing you see when you read them. So that everything else doesn't really matter other than the words of Christ, the red letters. Because these letters are the words of a living God. They're the words of life. But a world that is dark and ugly and and has its own ways of doing things, don't like truth sometimes, and I will get rid of it. But if any one of you happen to open up the Bible and find the red letters, you might discover how God absolutely loves you, that He gave His Son that you may come to know Him. And that's the fact. We do this every Sunday morning. We get together, we talk about Jesus, we study the Bible, but all in all, when it all comes to an end, basically we're telling each other that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for your sins, to get your attention so that you can discover the one who loved you. Amen. That's, what, that's what we do. That's church. And anyone in this room who comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ has come to the knowledge of life. Amen. We're not calling you to come to some kind of a, a, a certificate in a theology, You know, come Sunday so that you can kind of get some credentials and you can understand more about the Bible. I don't care if you don't know anything about the Bible, but I do care that if you die and never know Jesus. And God doesn't care how much you know, but He does care what you do. And God is calling everyone this morning and every person in this room to come and look at the red letters. So the words of Jesus Christ, when he taught his disciples how to pray, you'll find them in red letters. When his disciples were eager to find the living God and know what to say to him, what do we say to him? Jesus told them, he said, he say, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, this is what we're going to study this morning. Give us this day our daily bread. Now who doesn't want to pray that, right?" Who doesn't want to pray that? Give us this day our daily bread. That's awesome. I like those words, give, give. Especially when it says give me. Give me. It's great. And yet, why don't you pray to God if God himself is saying, this is how you pray, give me. Why don't you? Jesus Christ himself is telling you, this is how you pray. You say, give us. Now, listen, some people say to me, "Um, is it alright to ask God for, like, a car? Is it alright to ask God for money? Can I ask God for money? Like, how do I ask God? Like, can I demand or do I have to say, please? But it's beautiful, the words of Jesus. There's no mustering up of some kind of a religious. Persuasion, you know. If I give, if I say it nicely, maybe I'll get it. Give. Give us. Give us this day our daily bread. And to be honest with you, God doesn't care what you ask for or how you ask it. He already knows. It's not like... I really want a car, but I won't ask him. God already knows you want a car. I really need more money, but I'm not going to ask him because that's not what you ask God. You know, God already knows what God wants. What God wants is a heart that comes to Him, giving all and everything that's in there. You see, if I want a car, God wants you to tell Him you want a car. If I want more money, God wants you to tell Him I want more money. Because God doesn't want you to hide behind a a fake, self-righteous presence of religion. You understand? Now listen, that doesn't mean God's going to give you a car or money, right? But God does desire an open, honest heart before Him, like a relationship, like a father and a son. Now listen to this verse so that you understand. Uh, You can turn with me, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32 to 33. You see, God knows everything. And here Jesus is telling the disciples for the Gentiles, those who don't believe in me, those who are not, not, that the light hasn't shone upon their lives, these people, they also are after the same things like car and money, you know? And he says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, God knows everything. He knows what you need. But listen, verse 33, he says, but, but, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, God knows the priorities. He knows what is good and what is right. He goes, I know that you want money, I know that you need to pay your bills, I know that you need a car because you need to get to work, I know all these things, and everybody needs all these things, and everybody asks for all these things, even those who are not Christian, who don't even believe in me. But but rather, if you're wise enough and if you understood what life is really, you would ask for the kingdom. Extraordinary. That's completely changes the way I pray. Now, listen. He says, Give us this day our daily bread. There's a very special word here, a very significant word that we kind of overlook or skim past that really defines that balance between living on earth and living in heaven. When I'm in heaven, like living as though God is in the midst of us. If God is in the midst of my family, my church, I'm not going to be like a wild man panicking because I can't pay a bill because I've lost my job. Because God is in the midst, that God is in control. But I have to pay my bills. God knows. I need to have a job. God knows. So there's a difference between a man without hope and a man without faith and a man who becomes a wild animal in a very brutal world and the one who walks through the valley of the shadow of death and fears no evil. And this is the kingdom. This is the life of the kingdom. This is how people live in the kingdom. They understand that there's nothing that happens unless God permits. I'll give you an example. I forgot to... uh, this this year i forgot to register as a teacher so i uh, was unem- unemployed or unregistered first the first two weeks of the year and it's extraordinary right because here i was getting close to the end of my holidays thinking man i'm going back to work i wish i had another week maybe another two would be fantastic give me a month And I'm dragging my feet, trying to be inspired, I'm going back to work. And I get a letter in the mailbox saying, you're not going back to work, mate. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't been registered. You haven't been registered. And I'm thinking, what? Total mind shift. What what happened? What happened? Like, all of a sudden, I don't want to go to work. Now again, you're not going to work. I'm going, why can't I go to work? That's, that's, that's what happened. What happened? You see, because I'm very self-sufficient. You know, I want it my way. When I don't want to go to work, I want to be in control of not going to work. But when something happens in my life, nah, man, I need to be in control. Now listen, this is very significant. When Jesus teaches you how to pray, he says this, he says, give us this day our daily bread. This is the significant word. This, this day. What does that mean? He doesn't speak of tomorrow. He doesn't speak of another day. He speaks of this day. Now, give me what I need for today. That's extraordinary. Most of us are living for tomorrow. Let me explain what was exciting about this, not exciting really, but... Me not being unregistered. Once I found out I'm not registered, I thought, well, what am I going to do for the next? Apparently, like it's four to six weeks registration. Four to six weeks. So I quickly filled out all the immediate registration form. That's called immediate registration. Sounds like I'm going to work tomorrow. It's four to six weeks. I filled out the form. I ring. I'm still doing this. I ring. I I don't get through. Seriously, one hour? I'm not getting through to anyone. I actually got a message that says, if you're calling to find out more details, it says they're not able to help you. Like, if you're looking to speak to someone, we prefer you didn't. In a roundabout way, please hang up. And I'm trying to get through. Like, I'm I'm trying to get through. And I couldn't get through. So I actually went there with the form filled out to give it to the person. There was no conversation. She looked at the form. I'm I'm there trying to explain to her why I did not register. Like, literally register. Right? Right? It didn't matter. It didn't matter that my mum had cancer when I got back and my mind was like, what's going on? It didn't matter that I was actually on long service leave in Vietnam and when the, the email came through, I actually saw it but I didn't respond to it because I thought, I'm on holidays. I'll, I'll deal with it when I get back. It didn't matter whatever reason or whatever situation that I found myself in unregistered, there was no one I can talk to or tell my explanation. I couldn't do anything. I ring and ring, and the next day to find out, no one responds. There was nothing I can do. Listen, it meant that I was unemployed. It meant that I had no job, no source of income. If I wasn't well off, if I wasn't blessed by God financially, if I I was paying bills and a huge mortgage and etc. and etc. What do I do? I, cu- I couldn't get through to anyone to tell them my, my situation. What am I meant to do? I still I'm still baffled by it. But thank God, I had lots of long service leave. Lots. Because God only tempts you with how much you can bear. So I had lots of long service leave. I used my long service leave. But what if I didn't have long service leave? How do I pay my mortgage? Who do I talk to so I can rectify and fix this problem? I couldn't get through to anyone, anyone. The school couldn't get through. The school tried to ring and that we, ha- we all had to wait. What were we waiting for? for registration to come through. That's Literally, that's all. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of one day, one day, when all is said and done, and everything's finished, and you're trying to get through, there's absolutely nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. That's what it reminded me of. There's nothing I can do. And when we stand before God one day, having all said and done and life is finished and everything's done and all the philosophies and all the ideas and all the the atheists' persuasive arguments and, and all gone, all gone, you can't stand before God and have a reason or an excuse, no matter how valid it is. There's no way of getting through because the only way you get through is right here, right now, this day, this day that the Lord has made. And that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the bread of life. Give me this day my bread. I want you, Jesus, this day. Now, this day simply means not only give me bread, but it means give me enough. The actual translation give me enough. It doesn't ask for more and it doesn't ask for less. It asks for meeting my need because that's enough. You understand? Now, the problem is, is that maybe some of us don't understand that because we're living in a culture that's very, 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 very materialistic, very, very, very much wanting, wanting, wanting. And we find it very, very hard to understand this concept of having just enough. I feel sorry for uh, the world. Because the world is kind of pushed in a place where they're forced to keep wanting more, even though they don't want more, they find themselves gaining more, even though they don't want anything more, they just can't. I've got to go to work, even though I don't want to go to work, I want to spend time with my family, but I can't because I've got to go to work, because I've got to pay a bill, I've got to... And so we live in the spirit of a world where it's basically consuming you to keep hungry, 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 hungry. And unless Jesus Christ comes into your life and breaks that bondage, that grip, we are gone. God illustrated this in the Old Testament with the, with the manna that came from heaven. I don't know if you know the story, but the Israelites had been freed from Egypt. They had been in bondage for 400 years. And finally, they get delivered from 400 years of slavery, 400 years of slavery. They get, they get delivered miraculously by the power of God. Ten plagues needed to be demonstrated so that they can see how strong God was when He delivered them. Finally, He delivers them and they find themselves in a place called the wilderness of sin. And all of a sudden, this place of sin, this wilderness of sin, causes them to think, man, it's better to go back to Egypt. It's better to go back and being in bondage. That's what they wanted to do. They'd rather go back and eat onion and garlic than the promised land. This is the wilderness of sin, that's what, that's, that's what sin does to you. Sin, sin says to you, 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 better for you to be in bondage than eat the eternal life, the bread of eternal life. Better for you to stay a slave. And that's by nature. That's what we do. You understand? We do that by nature. Better for me to be whipped by my boss because I'm a slave to his, 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 his payments every fortnight than to be, be free and enjoy my family. It's the wilderness of sin. And so God says, listen, it's okay, I'm in control. I'm the one who delivered you. I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who made you. I will provide what you need. Now listen, did you know what God did? In the morning, he would give them uh, this kind of a, a manna thing. It's like a, like a, it's like a flake, right? And in the evening, he would give them quail, Right? And what was unique about God's providence was the fact that if they decided to take more than they needed, by the morning, it had maggots and worms growing out of it, and it stunk. Now, but what's beautiful about that is this. God didn't tell the people, you, you take one, and you, you take two, and you, you take... God didn't do it like that. God said to them, You take what you need. How good is God? What you need. If you like to have two meals, second meal, third meal, if you're a person who needs to have two meals or two, three seconds, God says, Take that. Eat it. If you're a person that just needs to have a bit of an entree, is that what you need? You take that. But if you take anything more, then what you need becomes a stinking rot. You understand? And that was the Spirit of God back then. It's still the Spirit of Christ when He He teaches you how to pray. He says, when you pray, you pray like this. Give us this day, this day, my need. Now, bread, we're not talking about bread. Bread is a picture of providence. So we're not just talking about a meal. We're talking about... Everything I need for this day, it could, be, it could be clothes, it could be paying a bill, it could be whatever it is that you need for this day, but he will not satisfy your greed. He will not fuel your covetousness because that destroys you, that kills you, that divides you, that, that breaks marriages, that destroys children, but take what you need. That's always been the spirit of Jesus. And when we pray that, give us this day our daily bread. We are reinforcing to a living God that I trust you. How beautiful is that? Every time you pray, you're telling God, I trust you. And all I need from you is to meet my needs. I don't, I don't ask for more. I need you to meet my needs. And, and God does that. He does that because he does it for two reasons. Let me share with you why. Two reasons, and this is what he said to them. You don't need to turn to this. I'll just read it to you. Two reasons why he does that. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, he says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, Moses, listen, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. This is how we're going to meet the people's need, right? From heaven, bread's going to come down. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I, listen, may prove them whether they walk in my law or not. So when we pray the Lord, give us this day our daily bread, what we're demonstrating to the Lord is I am walking according to your ways. See, God He's proving to the Israelites, are they able to obey me if I just gave them according to their needs or will they disobey me and take more? Because that more does something to your soul. There's it's, it's a consequence. And this is the problem of society. That more makes you a little bit more greedy. It makes you a little bit more self-sufficient it makes you a little bit more self focused. I've got to meet my needs. I've got to, and there is no end to this more. That's the problem. He goes, But those who seek me and ask of me, give me this day what I need, they are, they are the ones who actually trust me. They are the ones who are actually obeying me. They're the ones who are finding me to be their source of everything. They're the ones that I desire to have a relationship with. They're the ones who are like my children because they don't go chasing things that are contrary to my law. So I can prove them. That's the prayer that you prove to God every time you pray. You understand? Every time you pray that, you, God is proving you. Do you, really, do you really just want what you need? Do you? Next time you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Forget about your investments. Forget about the stock market. Forget about what you're accumulating because this is not the prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Do you understand that? In the Lord's Prayer, it's this day. And it's enough. And why does God still ask of you, don't take more than what you should? Because listen what it says when he gave him the manna. And Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel, At evening, then you shall know. At evening, you shall know that the Lord has brought you out from Egypt. So what does God want to do? Why does God just want you to have enough? It's so that when enough has been provided, you will know that's from God. But if you're too busy chasing, chasing, you never see the hand of God. Because you built your own empire. look what I've done. Look, king, look what I've done. I've done everything. (laughs) Only a step further and you're slayed. But when God provides, you've got a a bill that needs to be paid. I don't know if that's your testimony. It's my testimony that the more money I make, the more money slips through my fingers. Because it's like God always reminded me, you only need what you need. That's just the way it is. I think I've got to make more money, more money. And I find there's more debt. If I have a, if I have a car that's worth $40,000, no sooner do I need to repair it with $2,000. If I have a car that's only $1,000, no sooner do I repair it for $300. That's just how it works. It's, it's like a spiritual principle, if you like. He won't give you more than what you can bear. You can go chasing shadows and dreams and everything, but you're never going to be content till you find that Jesus Christ is all in all and only He is enough. He knows what you need and if He provides it, that's good. I remember when I was young, uh, I was taught, I was taught by my parents because I saw them doing it, a piece of bread that was on the ground Lebanese bread, flat piece of bread. Just they would pick it up. They would pick it up. They would kiss it, and put it in the bin. And I was growing up. I used to do the same. I didn't get it always right. Always when I went to kiss it, I'd eat it. But and I'd pick it off the ground. But I, I would pick it, kiss it, and put it in the bin. And I think, well, why? why what, what did that do? Like, what was? Because they were brought up in a generation that that piece of bread was was everything. So when they were kissing it, they were grateful that that piece of bread. We don't live in that culture. So you see, so we live in a culture where we have more than we need. That's the problem. In fact, do you dare? with me, open up a passage in the Bible and listen to what this says. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. See, apparently in the time of Jesus, about 75% of the people were poor. 75% of the people were poor. And that's not talking about the lepers and, and the beggars and Just generally, the lepers and the beggars and all that, that was like about 15%. But generally, people were poor, and only the elite were rich. So when Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking to these people, those people who basically found comfort in this, not discouragement. So those people, when they listened to this, give us this day our daily bread, they found a joy and a comfort that God was able to provide their need enough If today you preach a message like this, people get discouraged by it. Does that mean i just got to have enough? Does that mean i just got to, like, what do you mean enough? What's enough? Like, I'll give you an example. Like, um, back then, when you told, when Jesus told them, look, consider the lilies of the field. Look how beautiful they are. Look how God clothed them, you know. Um, They looked at their clothes with holes and rags and potato sack garments, and and they thought, well, that's true, you know today when you preach your sermon, well consider the lilies of the field, everyone's going, oh okay, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, well if they're looking fantastic like these lilies, then yeah, oh, God's going to provide my Adidas top my, my Nike brand, yeah, that's, that's because that's the, li- yeah, the no, it wasn't like that he's saying basically God's going to clothe you, so we get disgruntled and dissatisfied when our meal is cold, not that we don't have food so when he was telling them, you know, consider the birds, how they eat, you know, he was talking to hungry people who basically didn't have like a, a, a regular income. They didn't have like, so they didn't know if tomorrow they're going to eat. That's why they prayed today, give me what I need, not tomorrow, because it was holding on faith and dependency on God, which is absolutely awesome. Like, you know, if, if God stripped away everything that you had, but got you to depend on him in every single area of life, you have fulfilled the walk in Christ. Do you know that? If you tomorrow woke up and you were completely dependent on the living God, you have summarized the Christian faith. So rather than for us like, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying, Lord, make sure my meal is warm when I get home. But look what happens in this parable here when Jesus talks about a rich man. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. And he told them a parable saying... The land, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. How good's that? When Jesus' words are spoken, they're very clear. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Tell me about your land. Plentiful, right? Australia, man, right? Produces plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. What a problem. He's got so much that he doesn't know how, where to keep it, how to keep it. That's his problem. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, look, look be comforted, relax, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry, and this is the spirit of the culture of today, and this is the spirit that is moved and swept through the churches today, not only through churches, through pastors and ministers, me, like I strive to be comfortable, but that's not the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is I strive to be in the comfort of God in the peace of God. But our culture today says, be comfortable, relax, make enough money over the year so that you can go on a holiday. That, that's this, this man's spirit. Be merry, drink and eat. That's this man's spirit. And I'll show you uh, um, an amazing part of this passage where he says, I will say to my soul, see subconsciously in my head, I look and I'll say, you know what? I've got enough money saved. I, I, I can relax here and, and I've got investment. And, and verse 20, but God said to him, God said to him, You fool. There's nothing more unwise than this. Foolish. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, where are they, where are they going? Who are they going to go to? Who are they going to go for? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Not rich. What is rich towards God? The one rich toward God is when God is everything that they have. That's rich towards God. When God is their all in all, that God is greater than their money, God is greater than their assets, God is greater than their relationships, God is greater than life itself. They are the ones who are rich toward God. And they're the ones, I tell you the truth, who experience the true joy, the true peace, the true love, because it comes from above. Nothing of this world. It comes from His Holy Spirit. And he gives it to all those who call upon his name. Those who are willing to leave everything, their problems, their issues, their troubles, and just trust in Christ alone. And the one who fully trusts him says, it's enough, it's enough. I found the meaning of life. I fully trusted the God, the creator, the one who created my soul. Give us this day, our daily bread. Today, I want Jesus Christ to be enough. That should be your prayer. I just want you, Jesus. I don't care about what I have, what I don't. I just want you, Jesus. That should be your prayer. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You don't want to get to heaven and say, "I, I, I don't have an excuse. I don't have a reason. I just couldn't get through. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Just give you time to come before God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. These are His words. These are, these are the red letters. If you want to change your life around, if you want to have a new perspective of life, then listen and heed the voice of God because He knocks at every heart and His voice is louder than mine. And if he's knocking at the door of your heart, respond to him. He knows your life. He knows what you, where you're at. He knows everything about you. So speak to him. Find your peace in him. Confirm for yourself that Jesus Christ is your everything. You don't want to walk out of this place depending on other things. Honestly? But... You can leave knowing that your life is in the hand of God because you're dependent on Him. He's not going to forsake you or leave you. He's not going to put you to shame. He's not going to disappoint you. The Bible says that anyone who comes to Him, no way is He going to put to shame. You put your trust in Him and He will prove Himself to you. That's what God wants to do. Father in heaven, I give you thanks and praise. I thank you, Lord God, for all that you are and all that you do. Help us, Father, to close our eyes to those things that are a distraction from your ways and your truth. Open our heart to your spirit, Lord, that we can truly know the living God who calls for our attention, who desires to deliver us out of the pit. I pray, Lord God, for every person in this room. Keep knocking at their heart, Lord God, till they welcome you into their life, that you may change and transform, clean and heal. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.